Thanks. So, there's something I needed to talk to you about. Um, this is this is hard for me, but it's not working out the way I wanted it to. Between us, it's not. Uh, I work really, really hard all month long in order to get more of you, and then um, it feels like when you come home, it's like there's a million other places you gotta be. And that's not the only reason. Um, I think communication is a problem in our relationship. I Half the time I don't understand where you're coming from with all your acronyms like APY, GDP, FDIC. And I'm just gonna ask it, um, who's Roth? Okay, you know, it doesn't matter anyway. Um, I just, it's not working out, and I don't think that I can do this anymore. Oh, come on. Don't cry. Don't cry. Look, we've had some fun times, right? We've done great things together, but I'm always chasing after you and making decisions with you in mind. And I just feel trapped and, and confined by our relationship. I mean, there's never enough of you and I, I can't even imagine having too much of you. I'm sure there are plenty of other people out there who would love to be in a relationship with you on your terms, but I'm, I'm no longer one of them. And I don't wanna argue, you know, I don't like to fight, it's just, it's been so stressful, and I don't, I can't do this anymore. I need a break. So, I'll see you later. Um, and I guess, I hate to ask this at this point, but can you pay the bill? going to talk about money. How do you feel about that? Because <laughs> I think we think about it a lot, so of course we're going to address it. <clears throat> the thing is, we think about it a lot, but we don't talk about it a lot. <clears throat> we don't, or to it, for that matter. <laughs> but I can remember a few times when I did talk a lot about it. One time in particular was when I did not win it on Family Feud. <laughs> Uh, our score was on the right, so <laughs> that was a bummer. You know what the question we got out on? <laughs> it was this, okay, if I'm referring to someone as the boss, who am I referring to? Bruce Springsteen. How did you know that? <laughs> that was the only one we didn't get. We got like, oh, it's your spouse, it's your boss at work, it's, you know, the office television show. Like, we got all of that, uh, but we did not get Bruce Springsteen. You should have, you would have won, so cool. <laughs> We ended up losing, but I 
And I talked a lot about losing. It was a bummer to like lose, ha ha ha, on family people. We like lost a lot of money. We could have won a lot of money. Uh, I did though win the day after I got married. <laughs> we went on a different television show called uh, Let's Make a Deal. And I did, and I won a bunch of stuff. Isn't that fun? And not just Let's Make a Deal. The week after I graduated from college, I also went on this television show. <laughs> the price is right. Apparently, this is a thing for me. I get on a lot of TV shows. And uh, the reason is because not a lot of people are just available on a Tuesday morning. And so my competition, you know, uh, I got on a lot of television shows. And the game I played, I wanted Plinko so bad. I didn't get Plinko. What I got was the one where they have like 16 boxes and then you have to like guess the prices. And if you get the prices right, they limit the number of boxes and you get down to like the final four or maybe the final two. And then there's like $10,000 in one of the boxes and you just don't know. And then they set you up and then you're completely nervous. Oh, check it out. Your left hand on that side. Now don't lift it. Well, the audience and I are going to count. One, two, three, now. When I say now, you lift it off with a big flourish so the money will fall all over the state. I hope so. I hope so. Are the audience, are you ready? One, two, three. Now there it is. There it is. There's the money. All $10,000. There it is. Congratulations. You love it. kissed him early on in the show, on the cheek. He wears a lot of makeup. <laughs> it was great. That was so memorable. I remember my friends who, like, when I got interviewed by the producers, I was, like, so excited. I, like, jumped over the railing and, like, gave him a hug as well. And my friends like, you're totally going to get on. And I'm like, okay. They're like, if you do, do a fake fall down the aisle. I'm like, okay. I was the very first name called on the television show, and literally the camera's, like, following me, and it's really funny. And then I fall, and it loses me. And it has to go back and find me. Oh... But I won a bunch of money and friends. Did you see like what happened? And I'm so happy they cut to the commercial when they did because at that point I actually got on the ground and I was swimming in it. It was just too much. <laughs> it was too much. Money has this like wild effect on us, right? I mean, let's be real. Let's be real for a second. Do you think your life would be better if you just got another $10,000? Right? I mean, it was for me. And then, and then there's some of you who are like, how much do taxes take, right? None, because I made none that year, but um, I'm so thankful that God speaks about it because it's this thing, this really powerful thing in our life that if we're not aware of it, then it'll just rule us. You know how it rules me is I make decisions based on where I'll make it. I invest my time less in people and more in things that enable me to make more of it. And I believe, hopefully like you, that people are more important than it, right? So friends, if we don't talk about it, We'll just like fall into what everybody else does. And we can all agree, everyone across the board, money is powerful and it will either dominate and rule your life or you will put it to work for kingdom purposes. And friends, that's what I want to get to. But here's what I've been convinced of as I've been preparing this message. I can't change your heart when it comes to money. I wish that I could. I could probably motivate you to be generous one time. I think I, I think I have that ability, but I don't have the ability to change your heart. So let's go to prayer <laughs> and let's see what happens. So Father God, here we are and we simply come before you and I wonder what words come to mind or emotions come to mind as even this topic gets addressed. And so Lord, I pray that we bring that to you. If it's stress, if it's feeling like, God, I just need a little bit more of it. Or if it's God, teach me how to steward it. 
or maybe you have a lot of it and you've found a lot of confidence in it. I don't know what it is, but just share with the Lord what's on your heart with money. God, as we open up our heart, would we catch yours? <laughs> I like that. As we open up our heart, would we catch your heart toward money? And I pray that how we use it this week would shift, not because we try to, but because we see your heart for it. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus and all the church said, Amen. The Bible talks a lot about it. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 5, 1 Timothy chapter 6 warn us about it. They specifically warn us about loving it. Corinthians reminds us to give it away in love. And for a man who had very little of it, Jesus sure did talk about it a lot, didn't he? <laughs> Last time I talked about money, I got to talk about Jesus talking about money, which was so interesting to me because if you look at all the passages, he never asks for any of it. But he is after it, and here's why. Because it's attached to your heart. It actually is attached to what you value, and if you're not conscious of it, you'll value it and what you think it can provide. And what I challenged you with last time I talked about money was, look at your bank account and check out the last 10 things you purchased. And what do you think it reveals about your heart? I say that not to condemn, I just say that to like open you up. And I hope that you have a greater awareness of your relationship to money. So my hope by the end of this message is not that you get to the end of it and you feel guilty. I hope and I even prayed backstage that you would get to the end of this message and be so grateful for further and deeper awareness of what God intends to do with it because he has great purpose for it. So let's see what Proverbs uniquely has to say about the topic. It offers wisdom in life, but you'll notice that a majority of the times in the book of Proverbs when it brings up money, it's just a whole lot of warnings. And remember, the perspective that I got to open this series with is of a father talking to a kid about every aspect of life and wanting them to have wisdom. And here's what he says, Proverbs chapter 11. He tells us that the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. Now what he's specifically talking to is an agricultural society in which they would make income based on things that they would provide, like grain. And so they would put the grain on a weight, and a dishonest scale is them adding weights so that when they went to sell the grain, the people who were purchasing it would think that there was more grain, so they'd spend more money, and it was just dishonest. And he goes, the Lord detests that. And it's something really powerful about money where you could be a man of integrity and then when money comes in, have you noticed it kind of like it's harder to be integrous? It's kind of like when you walk out of the, the store. Oh, this actually happened to me. I don't know why this is coming to mind. But one time I ordered a ping pong table and um, when I went to go get the ping pong table, we had to decide like we're gonna get a nice ping pong table or like the cheapest one or do we go on offer up and find the free one. We went to, with like the medium of the line and we ordered it and we went online, ordered it and we got to pick it up at the store. We drove up our car. They put the wrong ping pong table on our car. It was the fanciest one. And I consider myself pretty integrous. And then I get home and we unload it and I'm like, <gasps> and I went to work. And a different pastor walked up to me and I was like, oh my gosh, you won't believe we got this like really nice ping pong table. We only ordered this one, but they made the mistake. And then my friend responded, what'd you do when you found out? Like what'd they say when you told them? Um, uh, verse four. <laughs> I did tell him. Don't worry. Sinner. Okay, uh, verse four, wealth is worthless in the day of 
sorry, both of us for the same, we need grace. Grace. Uh, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. So it talks about like where does wealth have its valley? It's only here on earth, but it's worthless on the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. What he's getting at is what's the point of being wealthy in this life and being totally bankrupt in the next? Especially when how we invest it here actually builds for eternity. Verse 28, those who trust in their riches, yikes. And that's, by the way, really easy to do. Do any of you ever like look up your bank account and feel a little bit better? Or some of you are like, no, worse. (laughs) But some of you, I know, you feel a little bit more secure, don't you? I say this again in complete compassion. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive. Chapter 15, verse 27. I mean, Proverbs speaks a lot, so we're going to go all over the place. 15, 27. uh, The greedy bring ruin to their households. And I can get real practical on this one. The greedy bring ruin to their households. Anyone else played Monopoly and got in a fight during it? Let me ask you this. Does Monopoly bring out your best side? (laughs) Some of you love it, that game. But the one who hates bribes will live. Chapter 28, verse 11 says this. The rich are wise in their own eyes. In other words, money can make you proud. The one who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. Chapter 28, verse 25. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. It says this. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. So this guy is basically at the end of his life going like, okay, I'm at the end and I'm like considering all of life. And you, you, you have a different perspective when you're faced with death. And he goes, okay, I've considered it all. Here's the only two things I ask. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me which makes me wonder if this guy has been wildly affected by falsehood and lies, and I think he's not the only one. But listen to his second request. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. In other words, don't give me too little or give me too much. Here's why. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you or forget about you or forget to depend on you, and I might say, who's the Lord? Look at me. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. There's these extremes. There's wealth. There's poverty that each provide a unique temptation to those who live in them. Thankfully, Proverbs doesn't just say things that are negative. Chapter 11, verse 24 gives us a positive perspective. One person gives freely. Oh, any of you live like that? If not, if you haven't tasted it, friends, I've tasted it. And it is so freeing. You become a little bit more detached when you're just generous with it. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. How do they gain more when they give more? Because you can't outgive God. And so another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. But here's where I want to land. Chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And I want the spirit to do what I believe only he can in this instance as I ask you this question in light of that verse. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Are you? Again, don't let the enemy sneak in and put shame in this conversation. Let the spirit lead you to gratitude of awareness in this moment. Honor, just honor him with how you spend your money. If not, you can. 
And then look, he immediately gets in, and which, which part of the well? With the first fruits of all your crops. Don't get to the end and then give at the very beginning. First fruits, the best. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim, brim over with new wine. I want to be so careful when I say this. It seems like there's so many scriptures all, so many scriptures all throughout scripture <laughs> that basically say this, give. You won't regret it. You truly cannot outgive God. You can't and you won't. Malachi says, test him on that one. <laughs> honor the Lord. So here's my three questions. The outline for this message is number one, why honor the Lord? Number two, how do we honor the Lord? And then three, where do we begin? So first, why? Why honor the Lord with our money? Psalm 24 verse one says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Why do we honor the Lord with our money? We honor the Lord because it's God's, not ours. I even just now made the mistake of saying, why honor the Lord with our money? That's wrong. That's a miss right there, but it's so cultural. It's so normal to go our, my money. We, we own it and then we spend it like we own it or we feel the pressure to earn it because it's all on us. And so no wonder we're so stressed by it. So if everything belongs to him, all that we have is actually his, then it changes our relationship to it. We become a steward of it. And this, by the way, is why I love how we talk about money here at Willow. If you've noticed, we use the phrase, you don't give to Willow because the money that's given is not Willow's. You give through Willow. In other words, it's God's the whole time. And church shouldn't shy away from talking about it because it holds the responsibility to steward it well and one day we'll stand before God and they will answer to every dime of it. And it's not just the church, it's also you. And if you think money comes from you, you will forever feel all the pressure to earn it, to make it, to invest it, to grow it. And I just wonder if that's a pressure God's asking us to carry alone. We will carry it alone if it's on us. But everything is his. Now the immediate, okay, so what do we do then? Do we just get to like lay back and God will just provide? No, we can't be lazy. We have to work hard. And I love that Proverbs speaks about that too. Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit. The profit is not bad. Money is not evil. It's the love of money. But mere talk leads to poverty. All hard work brings a profit. So how do we tangibly steward it? Generosity generously. That's next week and Albert will be bringing a word. I hope you're excited. Nobody is. <laughs> yeah, wow. So overwhelmed by that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> generously. Generously. And can I tell you, did you know this? If you didn't, I'm going to tell you. Generosity can be really fun. And if you understand this first point, which you already knew, by the way, when you walked in, everything's the Lord's. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you understand the generous, that, that everything is the Lord's and you're just a steward of the money, it will, sh it will shift how you use your money. It will. Here's why I know. I spoke at a church not too long ago that is incredibly generous. They were, they were generous with all sorts of things. One of the things even was like the time they took to write the thank you note for me as a communicator. I was coming to speak at their youth conference and the note was so thoughtful. It was like, hey, just before you get on stage, we want you to know how much we really love these students. Like we love them. 
And I'm convinced, by the way, Pineapple Mayhem is gonna make a lot of sense, and it's gonna be a really powerful event because it's fueled by a love for middle schoolers. So much love that they're willing to put on crazy costumes, dance around, and be absolutely absurd. Not because they like doing that, but because they love the students. And so this church also, yeah, yeah, Pineapple Mayhem, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this church that I was speaking at really loved their students too, and they wrote this note, and then they considered me, and they went, we considered how to love you really well. And we were thinking about the past season for you, and we thought, like, I'm sure that there's been a lot of losses, and we wanted to, like, send your family to Hawaii, but we couldn't. I was like, ah. And then they're like, uh, and then we thought, you know, maybe what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll have your celebrity crush from childhood give you a phone call. I'm like, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, anybody? Just, yeah, same age. Okay, and... Um, and they had all these like crazy ideas and they're starting listing them and they're like, well, those are all pretty good. And he goes, so, but we decided, and I was like, oh, this has to be better. It has to be better. We decided that probably something that you struggled in this year has probably been the act of generosity. Because when you, when you experience loss, it's really tempting to do this. And so they said, so we wanted to give you the opportunity to be generous. I'm like, what? And they go, if, if you look over in the envelope, there's a $100 bill. Enjoy the gift of being generous. I was like, huh. So I took it and I was like, and I walked into the conference and I just started judging everyone. Who needs it? No, not you. Not you. Definitely not you. Nah, nah. Uh, no. <laughs> I was like, because it wasn't mine, it was so fun. I'm like, who's, who's going to get it? Who's going to get it? And I, like, I'm looking for like the big story. I want the big story with this like $100 bill. I'm like, Lord, make it obvious. But then I had to get up and speak. So I like, put it in my backpack and I just made a little prayer. I'm like, ah, oh, make it obvious, make it obvious. Gave the message, continued on, and forgot about the $100 in my backpack. Uh, about two months later, I was uh, at home, and my little boy trips and falls, hits his uh, head on the corner of a table, and then he gets this little cut, and we had to decide, like, is it going to be stitches or not stitches? So we, like, rush him to the ER, and we're, like, you know, we're sitting in the waiting room, and it's just kind of doing the thing and bleeding, and I'm with gran um, his grandpa, and, and Dan looks at me, and he goes, like, uh, can you go grab some, um, while we're waiting, just go grab some hydrogen peroxide from the CVS. It's right there. I'm like, Ugh. and I'm just kind of frantic. You have those moments, moms, moms, when you're kind of frantic. And so I'm like running over to the store and I get into CVS and then I grab the hydrogen peroxide, those like brown bottles that like, what does it do? Is it going to be painful? It never is. But you grab the hydrogen peroxide and then you, I got into the checker and I'm like hustled because I just want to get back with my boy. And I'm hustling to go to checkout and there's only one checker outer and I'm like, nah. And then there's one person in front of me and that person has like a mound of stuff. And they're price checking every single item. And I'm so frustrated by it. At first, I'm just like, Whew. anyone else ever live kind of hurried? Have you ever noticed you cannot display the fruit of the Spirit and live hurried? Have you noticed this? It's impossible. Yeah. So I'm like, ugh. And then I started realizing what she was price checking. Toilet paper. Soap. And I'm watching her make like devastating decisions like, can't afford the soap. And guess what? God reminded me of. Ding, 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 $100. And I walk up. Friends, it was so fun. I look at the heaping mound and I look at the woman. I go, hey, lady, you can stop price checking. She's like, what? I'm like, I'm going to pay for all of it. She's like, what? And I'm like, all this covered I serve a wildly generous God who has provided for my every need. I want you to know him, and this is one way I know you can know it. It's all covered, ma'am. And she's like, are you serious? And I look at the checker and his mouth is dropped. And then I was thinking like, he's shocked, she's shocked. I'm kind of shocked because I actually don't know how much this is going to cost me. Oh. 
And the woman's response, she's sitting there and she goes, I have coupons. <laughs> and then she starts like frantically going through her back. I'm like, no, 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 uh, this is really sweet. Put away your coupons. It's all completely covered, all of it, put them away. She's like, no, 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 I have so many coupons. Let me look up coupons. And it felt kind of like us with our like acts of righteousness. You know, when like gospel wants to hit us with this like completely covered everything that you owe, all the debt has been already paid. And then we're like, oh, but I have coupons. Look how good I've been. Right? Look how much I've given to the church. And we, we consider these coupons and I believe Jesus is looking at us and I got to be a steward of that generosity to me, through me to this woman. Put it away. It's all completely covered. You ready for this? The checker rings up the number with my hydrogen peroxide bottle that was $5. $105 was the total. <laughs> Friends, living like this, truly not just agreeing with me that your money is God's, believing it you will notice, you will look at it differently. It won't be attached to your identity anymore and you will see it as just a way to honor the Lord with how you spend it. And the way you spend it can be shocking to culture that says you get defined by how much you can get. And church, we can look radically different by the question changing to how much can you give? And it shocks the world. It shocks the world and it looks a whole, like, a whole lot like the Lord. And which is why he urges us this father perspective to a son saying, honor the Lord with it. Oh, and by the way, you can't outgive our God. And it's not until you steward what's been given to you and then you can actually look as generous to others as he's been to you. That's how he invites us to live. So why honor the Lord with your money? because it's his and not ours. Next question, how? How do you tangibly do this? We go to the book of Proverbs yet again, chapter 18, verses 10 and 11 says this. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. Fortifies like secure, up high, defensible. The righteous run to it and are safe. Verse 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. So what he's getting at here is how do you trust? How do you honor the Lord with your wealth? Here's how you trust in the Lord and not your money. For what? Security? Status? Pleasure? See, the problem is it doesn't just stop at money. It also, it, I mean, it bleeds into our energy. It bleeds into our time and it bleeds into our investment. It's not just physical money. It's the stuff that we purchase. It can be all-consuming. And then we can begin to trust in it to give us the purpose that we can only be found in the Lord. We can trust in it to give us the pleasure that we desire. It reminds me of that silly movie that I really liked called Fever Pitch. Do you remember that one? With Jimmy Fallon. He's like a big Red Sox fan. Anyone else a Red Sox fan in the room? That guy. <laughs> Go Cubs! Yeah, that's just an aside. <laughs> that guy. Okay, so this, like you, this guy really likes the Red Sox. So much so that like everything in his life is red socks. Like he has like a bedding is red socks. The toilet paper in his bathroom has uh, Yankees on it. Like that's how into red socks this guy is. And then he meets Drew Barrymore, like the love of his life. And he's kind of hiding this like secret thing about himself, how much he like loves the red socks. And then there comes a moment in the movie where 
he almost loses her because of his investment into this thing, this team. And the turning point in the whole movie is when one of his baseball players looks at him and says, you love the Red Sox. But have they ever loved you back? Has the stuff you own that you've invested into ever fulfilled its promises to you for true security, confidence? The author of Hebrews warns this as well when it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be Rather, here's the opposite of it. Content with what you already have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Friends, we cannot, and in Jesus' words, you cannot love both God and money. If you love money, the more you love money, the less you love God. And it wants to rule you. You can't serve God and money simultaneously. So how do you not love money? Here's a simple answer. You choose to love God with it. That's how. It's impossible to overcome the natural human tendency to love money, to have a love of money. It's impossible to overcome that without putting God first financially. And when you do, the byproduct is really beautiful. It's this word called contentment to be content with what he has already given you, given you. You can be content because you're trusting in the Lord for satisfaction, for security, for status. Paul writes about the secret of contentment when he writes this, Philippians 4, 11 to 13. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned, which is cool, that contentment can be learned. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to be, have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Don't find your strength in money. The, the moment you may know this is a problem is if you find yourself stressed and your natural tendency is to want to buy something. Anyone else? Isn't it weird? It like and it works because it kind of satisfies the moment you purchase it. But what happens the next day? It just doesn't work. So let me tell you this. Contentment lasts a lot longer than overspending. Henry David Thoreau wrote in his journal in March of 1856, that man is the richest whose pleasures are cheapest. A man is rich in proportion to the things with which he can afford to let go. Friends, it's one thing to have less. It's another to want less because you have everything you need in the Lord. That's where the money is, pun intended. So where do we begin? I'll take the, I'll take the soft, yeah, I'll take. <laughs> so where do we begin? <laughs> <laughs> That's you guys. Where do we begin? And I like, I, like, I like this like, and I hope that as you're doing this, that what he's doing is going like, isn't it freeing? It's more free to live this way, to actually be content. And can I give you a picture of what contentment looks like? It's just enjoying what you already have. If you're a parent of a young child, do you ever get like kind of bummed that your kids need new toys when they have plenty of toys? 
I think the same thing is the word from your father to you. Enjoy what you have. Some of you will go out to lunch right after this. And I'm going to tell you this, enjoy it. Even if next week you might go out to lunch again, enjoy it. That's contentment. So where do we begin? How do we live into that reality? How do we trust the Lord and not our money? Where do we begin? And here's where it is. Consider your debt. The more I studied contentment, the more I found a very close relationship to gratitude. And gratitude, I got to give a message here back in November on gratitude, and I cannot stop thinking about it. And if you missed it or you want to be reminded of it, here's what it was. If you want to become more grateful instead of try to be grateful, the goal is actually humility. That's the route. Humility breeds gratitude. And I've come to realize when you're grateful, you are content. So it has to come back to humility. And how do we become humility? You consider your debt. Genesis chapter 2 gives us our anthropology. Remember, we're from the dust. And the word ground that is found in that same chapter, the word ground is where we get the word humility. It's Hamas. That's where we get the word humility. It's the ground. That's where we're from. And then after the fall, once Genesis chapter 3 hits and we hit this fall, we sin, fall short of the glory of God, suddenly it's to the ground we must return. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Therefore, we're going to return there. So the idea is that you are low. And the lower you get, the lower you can get in life. And I think of Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes about the secret of contentment, but this happens after Philippians chapter 2 where he says, do you want to know the way of Christ? It's this, down, 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 down. And then it says this, that God raises them up. And friends, I'll tell you why this is so countercultural, because our culture is telling you to do this. The way of Christ is the opposite direction where you get as low as possible. When you get low, what you recognize is you deserve nothing. You deserve nothing. We're from the dust and to the dust we shall return. The wages of our sin is death. We deserve to be very, very far from a holy and a perfect God. We deserve to be so far and distant from grace. That's what we deserve, to be very far. And do you remember God even put it within our, within our bodies to be reminded that all of life is a gift? Because when you realize that you deserve nothing, then you'll look at everything you have, every financial dollar that you are given or entrusted with as a steward of, it will all be a gift just like your heartbeat, which 100,000 times a day communicates gift, 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 because you deserve to be far from him and without life. And when you look up, having realized what you deserve, you'll see you deserve nothing. And when you receive a gift, the natural byproduct is to say what? Thank you, thank you. And when you are a grateful person, you have the potential to be, not try to be, to be content with precisely what you have because it's all a gift. So consider your debt. I don't know many people in the Bible who considered their debt more than the woman in Luke chapter 7, and this is where I want to end in Luke chapter 7, but I want to do something a little bit different. Of course I do. I could just read it, but I'd rather you experience it and use something that I don't think we use all that often in church. It's called your imagination. <laughs> and here's the deal. If we don't allow the Lord to have control of our imagination, I think anxiety will win as we imagine worst-case scenarios all the time. And so I want to use it here. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read the exact same passage two times, and I'm going to teach you or show you which portion of the narrative I want you to be in each of the readings. 
The first one is going to be you hearing about Jesus coming to town. <laughs> and somehow, I'm not sure how, but somehow you get the courage to invite Jesus to your home for dinner. And what's going to happen? Someone went, yeah, yeah, I'm coming to your house. Yeah, who would you invite, by the way? Can I come? I'm coming. I want to come. I'd go with like Francis Chan. Can you imagine? I'm like, Francis, Jesus is coming. He's like, how'd you get my number? I'm like, Jesus is coming. So I'd, who would you invite, by the way? I want you to close your eyes. Maybe even imagine your own dinner table. And welcome into the story. When you, here we go, invited Jesus to have dinner with you, he came. Try to envision him there. He came to your house and reclined at your table. And everything is going perfectly. It's beautiful. It's comfortable. All the people you invited said yes, and everyone is there perfectly with full of expectation. And suddenly, a woman in that town who lived a very sinful life also had heard that Jesus was eating at your house, and she storms in. The vision that I'm getting is of a, like a lice-infested, dirty human. And she shows up, and she's a mess, and everyone now, the whole thing's interrupted. And she comes in with this jar, and she goes right toward Jesus, and she stands behind him at his feet weeping. She just completely breaks down, and it's a mess. She begins to wet his feet with her tears, and it's gross. And then she wipes them with her hair, kisses them, and then pours out all this really expensive perfume all over them and making a mess of everything. Now, when you who saw this, who had invited Jesus, when you saw this woman, you said to yourself, gosh, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's such a sinner. And Jesus turns to you and answers you, hey, uh, I have something to tell you. And you respond, tell me, teacher. And he says this, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? You respond, uh, I, I'm, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said back to you, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus turns towards her and says, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is it who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. You can open your eyes. We're gonna read it one more time. And this time, you're gonna be the woman in the story. In order to get into character, I'll, let me tell you about the woman. It's likely that she's a prostitute. It's likely that her sin not only is just awful, it also likely is potentially involved with the people who are sitting at the table who don't want to have any association with her. 
So that's the part you're going to play for a moment. And maybe some of you, that's the part you need to enter into. And maybe some of you, it's just imagining your sin exposed for the world to see. And imagine everyone knows it. And yet you hear about this Jesus. And maybe you do know him. Of course, you're here at church. And you hear that he's here. And you hear that the one who knows all of you will forgive all of you and set you free and send you off in peace. And yet you know full well the room you're about to walk into knows every single part of you and judges you completely for it. Would you close your eyes and turn to the story yet one more time? When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. And all the people sitting around looked perfect, perfectly put together. And there you are on the outside of the house. Can you imagine that debate before going in? But you learned that Jesus was inside, and so you storm in. And you bring that which you own, the most prized possession that you own, and you walk right towards Jesus, fully aware of all the stares of everyone else, and you just begin to break down as if this is your last chance and you just completely break down and then you're, you're crying so hard that your feet, your, your, his feet begin to get wet with your tears and then, you, and then you go down to the floor and wipe his feet with your hair, kiss him and pour out perfume on his feet. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, gosh, if this was a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of person they are, that they're a sinner and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell me, tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two money, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other only 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon rep replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He then turned his attention toward you as he spoke back to Simon, do you see this person? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but this person wet my, teeth, my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this person from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but they poured out perfume. They gave me everything they had. Therefore, I tell you, their many sins have been forgiven as their great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus turns his full attention towards you. Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to whisper among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he says again to you, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You can open your eyes. Our acts of generosity are connected to our awareness of our debt. See, I don't know if, see, Jesus said someone owed 500 and someone owed 50. I don't even know if that's the amount of sin or the perspective of it. Because I don't know about you, for a long time I saw my sin as this big. Do you want to know how big Jesus was in my life? The thing, the thing about this verse that really gets me is this one. Neither of them, after he says one owes 500 and one owes 50, here's the truth. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. We all have debt. I wonder which person in the story you relate to. I'll be honest with you, for a majority of my life, it was the first reading. It's easy to look at everybody else and point out all their flaws or notice all their flaws. And for me, that was a problem for a long time until this passage. 
And I'll tell you, just the past like two or three weeks, I've seen myself more as the woman. It's not the amount of sin. It's understanding the gravity of it. Friends, we deserve nothing. And yet, we've received everything we need in Christ Jesus. The only way we will act generously if we recognize the generosity of the God of the universe has already given towards us. So what do we do? We honor the Lord with all of it as a steward of that which he has entrusted into our care. Where do we begin? We trust the Lord, not it. We get low and recognize all of it is a gift. And friends, enjoy it. Enjoy what he has given to you. Enjoy it this week. Enjoy it this week. As you consider your debt, I have really good news. Put away your coupons. It's already been paid. So Heavenly Father, I... I know that I can't change a heart toward money. So right now, would you do it only you can and allow us to really see that it's, it's yours, that you've given us the skills to earn it, you've given us the job to have it, or you're providing us with dependency to need more of it. Teach us, Lord, how to depend on you, to trust in you, not in it, and then to use it in ways that honor your name. God, we need you to transform our hearts. We love you, Lord. And all God's children said, amen. We're going to go into a time of response. And as we do, as we've been creating a culture, which I love, we have a prayer team up front. And I just have to remind you, I used to think the invitation for prayer was like this. And then you go like this. Here's what I'm realizing. Moving forward towards prayer ministry is not sad and weak. It's moving towards your greatest source of strength. He can transform a heart as we open up ours to him in prayer. Prayer team will be down here. I invite you, let's stand to our feet in worship. Let's stand to our feet and respond. And let's give God more of our heart. Receive the generosity of our heavenly father that we might respond in generosity with everything he's entrusted into our care. Let's worship.